following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Well, the first thing you gotta realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the New World Order of Wrestling, brother. Oh, yes. Oh, it's time. It is time, folks. New World Order. N-W-O. Eric Bischoff will be joining me in just a moment. Welcome back to Toronto Today here on TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara. Give me a follow on Twitter at AndyMC81, the station at TSN 1050 Radio. This man created the NWO, former boss of WCW, beat Vince McMahon and the WWE for 83 straight weeks in the Monday Night Wars Nitro versus Raw. He's done it all. He's seen it all. And I'm thrilled to have on the line, welcome, Easy e himself, Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you, man? I am well, Andy. How are you? I am very excited to chat with you, my friend. And we've had Twitter's been blowing up. I said, send in your questions for Eric. And, and people are just pumped. And before we get to those, uh, anybody who has not heard your new podcast, 83 Weeks, it is fascinating. It's kind of like the Netflix version for your ears, just like binge listening with all the stories. For those who haven't heard about it yet, can you tell us a little bit about the show? Sure. Um, well, the title of the show, the name of the show is 83 Weeks. And it really, the show tries to document, if you will, uh, go back in time and document those 83 weeks, and, and not so much in order to, you know, pat myself on the back or anything like that, but really just to look at all of the things that took place during that period of time that we now refer to as the Monday Night Wars and how those, how the Monday Night Wars really changed the wrestling industry really forever. I mean, and, and it, it, you see it today. You know, a lot of the things that were created during the Monday Night Wars and created on Nitro are very commonplace now on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown. So we we go back and we look at we look at the war and we break it down episode by episode, pay per view by pay per view, and we pick the hottest topics and the most controversial things about that time and and break it down and, and hear the backstory and what really went on behind the scenes. And Eric, that's what's so fascinating to me and, and wrestling fans is back then it was really before the the internet was what it was and there were still surprises you could still be surprised and you got blamed for a lot of things and what i liked listening about this show was you were blamed for okay well mabel was going to be the third man in the nw just ridiculous some ridiculous things that uh, other wrestlers have said just bloggers or whoever have said over the years that you were able to debunk is this kind of like a cleansing process for you for for you to be able to set the record straight uh, you, you know, not really. I mean, I, I got over a lot of that, you know, many, many years ago. But, you know, the truth is, or the fact is that, you know, there's so much narrative or, or history out there that has been written by people that didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. They were near, nowhere near the business of the wrestling business. They were nowhere near, and when I say near, I mean not involved, not even in the same um, zip code as, you know, the decision-making process. But, you know, you go back to, you know, prior to the Internet, you had, you know, what they referred to as dirt sheets or weekly newsletters that were put up any number of people. And a lot of those newsletters were written in such a way to lead their, their viewers or their readers 
to believe that they were reading real, uh, credible inside information. And that inside information was generally third or fourth hand information. In many cases, it was fabricated and, and, you know, tossed out to these writers as, you know, basically bait. And, and the writers went with it and reported it as fact. And for many, many years, people had believed that narrative and that history. So this show gives us an opportunity to go back and debunk some of those ridiculous, you know, reports and positions and perspectives that, you know, people have for so long, you know, grabbed a hold of and, and taken as gospel. Right, and it, there's a whole Bret Hart episode I encourage people to listen to where there's a lot of things, Eric, I'll be honest, I thought were one way, and, and you totally cleared up with the whole Bret Hart situation from his book. So that's that's a, a fascinating episode. There's the Brian Pillman one that's, uh, that's out, Dusty Rhodes, and, and really going through uh, each, as you said, each episode, each week in pay-per-view. Now, for yourself, when this whole thing came together, Hall and Nash coming over. Why do you feel when Hogan dropped the leg on Macho Man and the NWO was formed, why do you feel it took off how it did? Because you had the big personalities, but it just seemed like the wrestling world was, was waiting and, and just to have it be such a big part of pop culture, too. Why do you think it got so big? I think there were so many reasons. You know, it, in my experience, you know, there's never one reason for, you know, a huge success mm. or there's never one reason for a huge failure. You know, when it, in, in entertainment, usually it's a combination of a lot of little things uh, combined with you know, the good fortune of great timing. <laughs> you know, sometimes some of the best ideas, you know, that have ever been put together, you know, fell victim to bad timing. And, and I think in this case, we were fortunate to have the right cast of characters, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, came together in an amazing story that was believable. You know, the NWO really started with the idea that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who previously worked in WCW, who then went to work for WWF and subsequently became big stars, were now returning to WCW to kind of take revenge on the people that didn't give them the respect they deserved. It's a very simple story, really, at its core. But I think, you know, the combination of, you know, who's the third man, the, 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 the element of mystery that was such a cornerstone to that story helped make that story even more interesting. And then to top it off with Hulk Hogan, who was such an icon and, you know, such a, a, a good guy or baby face for such a long period of time at the highest level, for him to, you know, surprise the world and turn heel on top of all of the other great elements of that story and that great cast just put it way over the top. And it, it, it still resonates with wrestling fans to this day, 20 some odd years later. In conversation with Eric Bischoff, former boss of WCW, creator of the NWO, catches podcast 83 weeks at 83weeks.com on iTunes, all the podcast sites, and on Twitter at E. Bischoff. So, Eric, when you were looking at this idea of the NWO, there's been stables in the past. There were the Four Horsemen and, and more previous to this. Did any other stable group or, or anything else from previous wrestling storylines influence you? Because this does seem, you say it's, it's simple and that's true, but it does seem like for wrestling it is kind of unique. Well, it was very unique, and I didn't pattern the NWO off of any other stable. You know, and if you go back, and you know, I mean, you have to go back to be fair and, and really honest about it. You know, the NWO as we, we know of it today, you know, the kind of the black and white and the NWO logo and, and all of the things that, you know, made the NWO so cool, just a very unique way that we produce our 
um, our, our, our vignettes or our promos, you know, had never been done before, shooting them in black and white and editing, to, editing them together in such a way that they were done almost in sound bites instead of extended, prolonged interviews, which it had been the formula that people had gotten accustomed to in wrestling for so long. You know, everything that we did with the NWO was different than anything that had ever been done before, which is one of the reasons it worked. You know, it, it's not like we looked at it. You know, you look at the Four Horsemen, which is probably the next most popular stable in the history of wrestling. You know, there's nothing about the NWO that looks anything like the Four Horsemen, other than it was a group of people. The, the way we presented the characters, the way we conducted the interviews, the kind of anarchy that was really threaded through all of the characters and, and all of the things that they did. They kind of represented an anti-hero, if you will, which was something that was evolving in pop culture at that time. And, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I saw it coming and I took advantage of it. It just was, it was coincidence. You know, I like to make myself sound like a genius. To tell you. <laughs> it, it was by design. But so much of it was just great. That's what I mean about great timing. The culture was ready. I think wrestling fans were tired of the same old formula week after week after week, year after year after year. And the NWO represented something fresh and new. And it was a great cast of characters. Now, Eric, I got this question from multiple people on, on Twitter and, and texting in. Um, do you feel that the NWO got too big in the sense of the amount of members in them as it grew and everybody was kind of, okay, hey, almost, the, almost of the day, the Golden State Warriors idea, you can't beat them, join them type of feel. Did it get too big? Would it have been better if it stayed into a smaller group? You know, in retrospect, I think that's very clear. You know, and it's, the answer is, short answer is yes. But the elongated answer, you know, is there was a reason for it. And I'm not justifying it, by the way. It, the short answer still remains the short answer, yes. However, um, the reason we were doing it is because we were, we were anticipating and building for a brand split. The goal eventually was for... NWO to have its own show on Monday nights and for WCW to have its own show on Thursday nights on TBS and have basically a war between the two companies. That was the intent. That was the reason that we kept building the NWO. It wasn't just because it was easy and fun. Um, it was because, I mean, there was a reason for it. There was a method behind the madness. Unfortunately, it never played itself out. You know, we got the second show, the Thunder show, but the, the, you know, the rug got pulled out from, you know, underneath WCW before we were ever really able to execute on the original idea the way it was intended. Yeah, and you expanded on that in 83 weeks as well. You can find it at 83weeks.com, which I, I'm, I'm sure many wrestling fans did not know, and then it does make sense when you break down some of the decisions made. Uh, a couple more Twitter questions for you here, Eric, from at Agent Jack, Agent Double O Jack, says, I'd love to know how Eric feels about the current state of wrestling, and what would he do to change it to bring it back to the glory days? You know, that's a really good question, and I understand why people ask it. But I, I'm, I'm pretty realistic about it. You know, I've been in the business for, um, I'm not in the business now, but, you know, I have been in the business for about 30 years, and I've seen a lot, you know, from a lot of different perspectives. And my perspective now, being a little bit more mature and, and reasoned about the whole thing, is that I think in many respects this is, we are in the golden era 
of professional wrestling. If you look at it really objectively and take your personal taste out of it, and you just look at look at where we are. You know, the WWE is in what 180 or 200 countries, um, or whatever it is. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's definitely global and worldwide. The WWE just is in the middle of closing a deal with Fox Networks and USA Networks for billions of dollars, you know, for television licensing. The independent wrestling scene is more vibrant and robust now around the world, not hmm. just, you know, here in the States or even Canada, but, you know, in the UK, in Japan. There's just so much great independent wrestling, non-WWE wrestling, more so now than there's ever been. So I understand why people may be frustrated because they, they, they may be tired of only one major wrestling company and they feel like they're forced to watch that every week and they may or may not like it from time to time. But I think if one's really honest about it and objective, I should say about it, objectively the business is greater now it, 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 worldwide than it's ever been at any time in our history. And we got one more for you here. Uh, Josh from Pickering texted in, uh, says, can you ask Eric or the most difficult personality to work with when he was in WCW and the most pleasant one? Oh, that's always hard. Yeah. Cause they've, they've all been, they've all been very pleasant to work with and all, they've all been very difficult to work with, <laughs> you know, at, at, at different times in their careers. You know, when I look back, you know, and I tend, when I look back and I, and I reflect, I tend to only kind of reflect on the positive things. I don't usually think about or remember the negative ones. And when I think of working with Roddy Piper, um, I get a smile on my face. When I think about working with Randy Savage, I get a smile on my face. Um, those guys, you know, not only were they great to work with behind the scenes, but I've watched, you know, I, I, I used to sit back and watch them you know, backstage or in certain situations when my kids were very, very young and just watching them react with my kids and, and my kids reacting with them and watching them, how they treated other people, not just my kids. They were really class people. And that's, you know, that's what I think about. I don't really look back and go, oh, that guy was a real jerk or man, what a pain in the neck he was or she was. I just, I kind of forgot all those things, to be honest. Eric, we could go on for, for days, and if you want more, uh, you, people can find it at 83weeks.com. Uh, what's coming up for, for future episodes? Can you give us a little bit of a tease, what we can be, be looking forward to? Because so far, the episodes have been phenomenal. Yeah, well, we've got a uh, – Conrad and I, you know, Conrad does such a great job. I've, I've got to give props to Conrad Thompson. Without him, I wouldn't be doing this, and, and, and even if I was, they wouldn't be nearly the quality shows that they are. Uh, he's got a great team. But this week we are going to be recording an episode about Bash at the Beach 1994. It'll be Hulk Hogan's first appearance in WCW. We'll talk about all of the the efforts in the negotiations and the contract issues and the, the politics, you know, behind getting Hulk Hogan to, you know, make that move to WCW, how Ric Flair, you know, was instrumental in all that. We'll cover all of that. And, and knowing Conrad, we'll probably cover some things that I didn't even think I was going to have to <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Eric, people can get your merchandise too, ericbischoff.com. Some really cool T-shirts and, and things there. Listen, man, this was a thrill for me. Thank you so much, and good luck with the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Anytime, my brother. All right, Eric Bischoff. NWO creator, former boss at WCW. How do you like that, Toronto? How about that? Eric Bischoff, baby. NWO creator.